Hi, and welcome to another episode of Fourth Talk. In this special edition of the show, we speak to Sarah Lowe, CEO of the SMJFL, where we learn a little about her background in sporting pursuits, along with discussing the challenges of managing the impact of COVID-19 on the league. So welcome to Hawk Talk, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. I'm pretty excited to be on uh, Hawk Talk. Heard a lot about your podcast, Lindsay. So thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Now, a lot of our members probably don't know who you are. So first up, can you tell us a little about yourself away from the SMJFL? Who is Sarah Love? Yeah, well, I'll, I'm actually a local girl to the to the Waverley Park Hawks. So, um, well, I was born born in Malaysia, and uh, my family migrated here in uh, 1977, and I was just a, a young girl at that time, and hadn't started school yet. So, when when I first came to Australia, we actually uh, moved into um, uh, some friends of my mum because mum was a a nurse here in the in the late 50s. So she was really lucky to to win a really uh, unique scholarship in, in Malaysia that was part of the Commonwealth Government. And so she spent three years here in uh, in Melbourne and she absolutely loved it back in the 50s and always vowed that she, uh, when she had, uh, when she got married and had kids, that she just really wanted to bring up all her kids in, in Melbourne. So uh, that's how we ended up here in, in Australia, in Melbourne. And we lived in Hughesdale. Uh, I remember when we first came out and then we um, bought a house in uh, Noble Park North, which um, the folks still live in now. And so that's where the the local connection is to Waverley Park Hawks. It's not very far and went to Silverton uh, Primary School and Kawatha um, High School at the time. So I suppose that's that's the connection there. But, um, yeah, that's probably a little bit about myself, a bit about background and history. What about your sporting background? What what sports did you play growing up and do you still participate in any sports today? Yeah, good question. We uh, remember still uh, when we came in, in the 70s and it was the year 1977 and we came in January just the, the about a week before Australia Day. So during that period of time, you probably remember, Lindsay, because we're probably as old as each other, but uh, that was the, the commencement of World Series cricket and, and we only lived down the road from VFL Park, like literally 500 metres from there. So, um, yeah, my, I have two older brothers uh, and, of course, we're a very competitive family, being being the youngest and the only girl. So whatever the brothers did, if I wanted to join in, I had to do that. And the brothers were very much into sports. So we uh, we, we all um, just love cricket so much and still remember how hot those summers were when we first came. And, yeah, we just we, we didn't have a ba- uh, backyard. We played in the front yard and uh, just all the kids in the uh, neighbourhood used to um, join in with us because we, we were already a big team of three people, so everyone else just uh, wanted to join in. So that love of cricket um, really just, you know, there wasn't a lot of sports for girls um, in, in those days. It was it was really just netball uh, or volleyball. So uh, I wasn't much of a netballer. Uh, there was no uh, girls cricket at the time, so I played volleyball and I was captain of that throughout primary school. And by the time we got to high school, that's when I was actually able to play cricket and I was um, actually picked up by Monash University as a as a 13-year-old playing in the premier uh, cricket women's team for uh, Monash University. So I was a fast bowler. I used to think I was Dennis Lilly um, and still think I'm Dennis Lilly now. I reckon I still got a pretty fast uh, right arm. 
Um, and then later on, I think it was, it was probably when we were at high school from year seven, we actually were allowed to play football. And it used to be just a, a one-day round-robin carnival that was organised by our school against all the other schools for um, Sports uh, Victoria. And, uh, yeah, that's where we got to play football. And that's where, you know, it was either cricket or football throughout the um, early 70s when we first came to Australia. So we, we loved it. And, again, because we're so competitive, my brothers, we, you know, you could never be on the same team. We would never barrack for the same team. So those were those sports. Um you know, you know, so you really couldn't play cricket or football um, besides, you know, that limitation. So I actually picked up the tennis racket and loved tennis and, and I did that quite quite seriously um, for over 10 years and uh, also 10-pin bowling. So I actually represented Victoria um, and, yeah, played 10-pin bowling. So I, I love those. So that, those are probably my, my love of those sports. Uh, you still participate in any of those sports today? Yeah, football. So I'm. Um, I've hung up the boots this year. So played masters women's footy when it started in Victoria two years ago, uh, and then I uh, became the the coach for Victoria. So we travel around at the national carnival. So I've been coach for the last two years, and and I'm coach again this year. Unfortunately, masters may not be playing um, this year, and uh, definitely not playing at the carnival. But um, yeah, I still think I'm pretty handy with the boots. Uh, Lindsay, so I still like to have a bit of a run around. Okay, that's good to hear. Now, you're probably not what people expect as the CEO of a junior football league. Um, tell us a little about your professional journey and, and what led you to be the CEO of a junior football league. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been, uh, this is my, th- actually, I think it's coming up to 33 years this year, this is showing my age, but, uh, and I've been in sport management um, ever since I was 18 years of age. So I, I haven't really worked in any other industries outside of sport. So I've been probably led a bit of a charmed life. I've, I've loved sport so much. And um, yeah, Malaysia is not really a traditional place for sport. So I think when we came here and became so, I suppose, ossified so so quickly and just had that love of physically playing that sport, I, I couldn't actually imagine myself, um, you know, working in any other industry. So, and with my parents' support and my brother's support, they, they've been fantastic just to encourage me to to go with my passion and my love, which is sport, not not to go with the traditional, um, you know, jobs and things that other, other people may go for. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just could never see myself doing anything but sport. So I've been very lucky to, to probably know what I've always wanted to do. Um, although I say that, I just thought I'd be playing sport as a career. So to be able to, to change that into sports administration and management very, very early in my age group at 18, I think I've, I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, and I count all the blessings in relation to that to have such a long career. So I, I have managed, um, you know, so many sports businesses. I've worked for local council as well uh, for 10 years in the sport and recreation sector. Also um, worked for the YMCA, which is a big sport and recreation not-for-profit um, organisation. Uh, managed many, many very large leisure facilities and uh, and also two state sporting organisations in um, as CEO of Dragon Boat Victoria and Ice Hockey Victoria before I got this role. So, yeah, I, I suppose I, I hear what you're saying. It's it's probably not traditional, but I think with football, you know, even back in the 70s when I wanted to play football, I still remember being told that girls just don't play footy. So I've probably always been told that you can't do these things, and that's probably what's driven me to 
to do what I've really um, feel passionate about, and, and that's been sport. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose you, you're right about the, the non-traditional, but I probably look at it from a perspective that in, in sport, you know, I've managed so many sports that, yeah, it's been a, a question that's been asked me many times about football. Um, you know, not not the usual uh, cutout of what, what people expect, but um, it's been great. People have been really supportive. I think with um, the AFL's announcement of an AFLW season, uh, actually the year that I started, actually a month after I started in all the way back in August 16, um, pro- probably helped a little bit with that because it, it really show- showcased um, that, that women were part of this sport or actually are part of this sport. And I think it's been fantastic. And I even walked into an organisation like SMJFL where I, I didn't know what to expect, but all our executive team were all women. So I didn't really know any better. And we had uh, female board members. And so I hadn't really looked that way. And, and obviously the board had the, the confidence in, in recruiting myself. Yeah, it's definitely um, been a lot of fun. It's been great. We, we have such a great mix and diversity of staff now that, you know, it's not really about men and women and everything else. It's just um, we, we just see kids and, and that's all we do football for. for so Sorry, that was probably a long-winded uh, response for you there, Lindsay. No, that, that, that's fine, but uh, agree with a lot of what you said about the uh, the gender balance and the way it's starting to slowly but surely improve. Oh, sorry, Lindsay, I was just going to say as well, and we're, you know, just seeing so many more, um, you know, women come into the sport as well, just even in our own junior league. I remember the, the first year, you know, there's a couple of female presidents, which has been really fantastic, but... Still not enough, um, you know, women who feel that they can step into football. So we've got to start breaking down those barriers as well. But it's just great for me to see that there's more women putting their hand up in in, in official roles, whether it's paid or volunteered. And, um, and, and even with our coaches, we've got to get more female coaches as well. We've got about 1,000 coaches, but there's only about 34 of them that are women. So he, here's the time. And it's just great to see so many just girls playing footy. And joining in with the boys, it's fantastic. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I agree too with about women um, coaching. Um, we, our club's been trying to get some female coaches for several years, but we just can't get them to dip their toe in the water, unfortunately. Yeah, well, watch out for some programs. We've got um, AFLW uh, head coach Peter Searle, who's, who probably, you know, is, you know, the, the, the number one coach going around at the moment. And, and just done a fantastic job, and she has uh, signed on to be our SMJFL coach ambassador. And we have a female coach academy that has been very close to my heart that I've wanted to to actually uh, start. We started that this year, and that's been a bit disrupted with um, the pandemic. But um, you, you'll see some videos that we'll we'll release uh, through our socials with, with Peter Searle, and you know what what a fantastic um, role model for for everyone, not just females. But um, hopefully we can encourage more females by putting a, a safe and inclusive environment for them to join. Yep. So you've been in the role just on four years. What surprised you the most when you actually took on the role? Uh, just, I'd say a couple of things. Probably just how, how big this league is. We've, you know, we've always, um, it was sold to me that we're the biggest and, and we are the biggest, the biggest in the whole country, the biggest independent football sporting organizations so it comes with some some really um some challenges and but i'm really proud of that just the way we've grown that and really it's been growing from um just just how many girls have 
have started to participate. So uh, my my favourite thing just about this role and um, probably, yeah, probably not what surprised me, but just just how, how committed everyone is. You've got, obviously, it's a, it's a junior league. You've got kids of, of all age groups from 8 to 18, but... What I've loved is just seeing how committed the uh, the parents are because the parents are the volunteers. So we, we may have 11,000 or over 11,000 kids, but that equates to at least if you multiply that by two, at least 22 to 30,000 parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and everyone else. And that's probably what's um, surprised me most about the role is that it's not like senior footy. I always kind of liken it when you've got senior footy, you, you're an adult and you make that choice to... Uh, to want to play footy and for the volunteers of a senior football league that's also the player (laughs) as well whereas in junior footy you've got a a cohort of the the kids that obviously are the actual players but without the parents and the volunteers we we can't make it happen so I think that's where it's so unique and significant that um, you know it's not just a a junior league we're we're a whole volunteer organization and we've also got you know over 700 umpires as well which makes us the biggest umpire um recruiter of the whole country so i'm just loving how big we are Lindsay. to be honest it's uh, comes with some headaches and challenges but it, it's um it's just fantastic to see so many people involved it's not just kids getting fitter everyone's getting involved yeah that sort of leads me into my next question about like you, you talk about the size being one of your challenges so what is the biggest challenge and what do you think has been your most significant achievement um, in your time at the SMJFL? Well, I do love being the biggest, and you, you'll, you know, my staff know this. I'm always telling them how big we are. Uh, it, it is an AFL stat. I, I don't make up these numbers. The AFL tells uh, the whole world uh, who, who the um, largest participation numbers are. So, I think, um, I think the obvious one. Obvious challenge has actually been uh, this pandemic this year with with COVID nineteen. It's just um, you know Australia's had so many challenges with the bushfires over over summer. Um, you know that's hit us through here, and just when we were helping and you know um, trying to get through that issue, you know within a few months we, we we've had you know an unprecedented you know universal um, virus and disease that swept over us. So it's that, that's probably just been the big challenge because I've reflect back on the four years, and um, there's always challenges. But th- this is a this is an absolute beauty of a challenge. Um, but but we work through it. But I think the most significant achievement is is really been um, our corporate partnership program. You know, I've really had this vision about how to um, uh, reduce fees or eliminate fees, which is a pretty big, you know, um, vision to have. And I think. When I first started, we we signed up Monash University uh, as a major sponsor, and and the league, you know, has really made such a big U-turn in relation to how we're seen. We're not just the biggest. So I think we're seen as a very serious uh, commercial business operation to corporate partners. And you know, you can from Monash University signing on, we've had Australian Paper through Reflex and uh, Storage King, King and your your we share the same partner in Open Corp and Marketplace Fresh. There's so many. I can just keep listing all these partners. It, it looks like an AFL football club, but, you know, we're a junior football league. Yeah, we're the biggest, but it's fantastic just to see those corporate partners come on the journey. And the more money they invest, the, the you know, it, it means then that there's more savings to, to the clubs, which can be passed on to the players. And, you know, with our Open Corp community fund, this is significant 
Lindsay, this is, I'd say we'd be the first sport in the world that's trying to aspire not to charge any fees to play this wonderful sport in football. So to get a $100,000, uh, you know, donation this year from, from you know, our shared partners in OpenCorp this year, that goes straight to the clubs, that money. So that's not coming to the league. I mean, we hold the money, but that's going to be distributed to the clubs. So, you know, that's probably to me the, the biggest achievement is is building such a good, um, you know, business. We, we do football so well. That's what I've always noticed. But what I knew that we could um, leverage on is the size and, and to, to commercialise um, the sports business to, to make it so viable that the more money that gets invested by government, you know, we've, we've got some really other exciting announcements which I can't quite say. So maybe if you get me on in a couple of weeks, I can make that other announcement about more money that's being invested by government into our league. You know, we seem to, to be attracting a lot of government sponsors and that's because we are big and, and we are about junior participation uh, and we are about helping kids get healthier and mental health. So, you know, they, they may be challenging, but I think we've just leveraged it so well that um, that's probably just been the significant achievement, Lindsay. So what, watch this space. Yeah, look, as an, as an outsider looking in, I think it's been fantastic the way the league has actually um, managed to attract some commercial partners and uh, build those relationships. Just a further reminder about the Toyota Good for Football raffle, where the proceeds from each ticket go directly to the club. This will most likely be our only major fundraiser this season, so we'd ask those who are able to purchase tickets to do so and to share the link to buy tickets with your family and friends. You can find the link to purchase tickets on the club's website and via a pinned post on our Facebook page. Also, a further shout-out to our sponsors who have stuck with us for 2020, our major sponsors, Mulgrave Country Club and OpenCore. Our gold sponsors, Waverley Park Physiotherapy, Pinewood Community Bank, Melbourne Payella Company, Stevenson Financial Group, Mick Mastermano, Liberty Advisor, Seal Performance Batteries and the Stadium Fish and Chippery. We truly appreciate your ongoing support in this difficult time. Just going back to the the impact of COVID-19 and the pandemic, it's obviously impacted on the league. Um, the season was suspended. So how have you how, how have you managed all those, all those challenges of suddenly having a, a league ready to be up and running in April and then suddenly no you can't you can't run your league anymore. Yeah, I reflect on this a fair bit because it's obviously um, you know I kind of sometimes nickname it corona time because it just everything since this pandemic's been announced can either move very very slowly or or very very quickly and more so quickly than slowly i think the slow part's been that we've all been obviously um stuck at home for a period of time and and, and rightly so to, to to knock this thing on its head um but yeah the impact's been significant to to everybody and not not just the league obviously with um but the whole country and the whole world and it's a sense of all these challenges, all these challenges, and, and and helplessness. And but I think we've been really strong in our communication and our, our vision. You know, we've we've never given up hope. I think we've been very strategic in in the words uh, and communication that we've used. We've we've never talked about cancelling a season. Um, it's not in my vocabulary to 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 give up. 
or within my um, what my DNA about what I'm about. You know, we we know that it's about the kids. We we know how important sport and football is in particular, and and because we hit such a large demographic in in a very small region, you know, it's just football just brings so many joy, so much joy to everybody, not just the kids but the parents as well. So we've been very focused as a league, as a um, executive, and as a board. We've, we've been very, very focused on on working through these challenges and and what we have to do. So that's why we've used words like suspending um, training, um, delaying the start of the season, and that's not something that we can control. But we've never said that we've we've cancelled um, or, or or anything else. You know, it started off with the uh, club conference at the start of the year where. We could have cancelled that because you couldn't have um, numbers gathering in such large numbers, but we just figured out a way and, and we did it online and we got all the presidents to sign in. I think we had about 85 people sign into a president's meeting, which is unprecedented to run a meeting that way. So we've just um, probably just enjoyed the challenges, Lindsay. I mean, what can you do? We, we can only we can progress forward. You know, all of a sudden I've had the staff out of um, our wonderful offices at RSCA Park and we've been working from home and, you know, we've been really lucky to maintain a, a workforce and keep people employed, you know, keep the um, no fees to the clubs at all. Not one single cent's been charged to the clubs during this period. And again, it's because of our corporate partners and definitely JobKeeper and the government, you know, assisting with that. So that's been really good. But yeah, I think now we're, we're getting so close to a start of the season. It, it does take time. It's not something that I can announce. Uh, it's we, We've always pointed to a um, a date in time, um, you know, of 12th of July. We, we've not made a secret about that. I think we made that announcement, <laughs> I think, back in March um, when this first virus first first hit. So and obviously 12th of July is a, a date in time that's looking at, you know, the, the, the curve flattening, numbers reducing, incubation periods, all this sort of stuff, and, and everyone getting um, um, prepared for things like that and a, and a return. So we've just always said we have to follow the government. So it's been great to see the, the, the whole government of all levels work together. And I just want to say to everyone, we, we cannot forget we are in an unprecedented time. It is a pandemic. And we just cannot forget how dangerous this virus actually is and how quickly it spreads, even though everyone's done a fantastic job and we've got all the resources ready, people are back at training. I think Waverly Park, you're one of the first to to, to, to get the uh, the training boots um, on, which is fantastic. Um, you know, we, we just have to all be vigilant and make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing so we can get a season going. But, uh, yeah. We, we just we just have to um, just be patient now and, and just wait for the government to ease restrictions, um, but then we'll be ready to go. Yeah, I think, look, one of the frustrations, I think, from um, players and, 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 and parents is that you need to work with government, and we understand that. It's the delay between the government making the announcement and then the league six, seven days later then makes their announcement. Um, can you just outline the process that the league needs to go through to get approval to be able to say return to training or return to play? Yeah, and I think uh, I actually reckon we've been very on top of things. I think you, we, we've received so much positive feedback from the government and, and our local government and and even our, our members and clubs. And I know sometimes it can um, feel like it's frustrating because you don't hear anything, but I think you know every, anyone can go to our website 
um, or social media and and even our own SMJFL podcast. I think I did a podcast about five, six weeks ago that pointed to a 12th of July start. And, you know, that's been on our website for a very long time for everyone to see. But again, it's it, it's always on the premise that we that's on government. I mean, I can say whatever date I want. I can say, well, let's start next week. But that's got nothing to do with me until those things occur. So there's always going to be a lag. But I just think, you know, we just have to remember that the government's doing its best to to have all the information in front of it to make its decision. Um, I think we're all in a far better position to understand this virus um, and, and what we have to do. Um, and, and it does seem frustrating, but I think the, the league has been very on top of its communication and it's, it's actually had a really good story to tell. I think there's almost been a, a memo at least every week to every two weeks and it's been very strategic. I don't think we've been wrong on any communication so far. I think we've actually been very uh, quick to respond to information that's been provided to us by either the government or AFL Victoria. So we all work very closely together, but <clears throat> maybe what people may not be aware of is that even though we're, we're an independent junior football league, um, like many others, you know, the governing body is still AFL Victoria. So without them, we, we really can't um, progress and they've they've got a process to be able to provide documentation to the government uh, and then the government once they ease certain restrictions and and for us it's about that level c getting to that level c so if you've seen the um, ais or the sport australia framework for the return to um to sport so we're at level B at the moment, which means that we can have training and, and numbers of those numbers that went from 10s to 20s. So now we're waiting for to, to go from level B to level C, which is the ability to have full contact and, and return to competition. So, um, you know, we can't, you know, we don't know when that's going to be, but we think it's that announcement will be imminent in the next couple of weeks. So it could be any time. So we're, we're always ready to, to put out our announcements when they come through. So we've, we've, all those memos that you've seen, they've been very well prepared in advance. And as soon as an announcement gets made, that's why you get the information so quickly. It, it seems like it's frustrating, like it takes so long, but it's actually been quite quick. As soon as someone makes an announcement, we're, we're on top of it at, at the same time. So hopefully that makes sense. So there is um, the government and then there's AFL Vic, who's been working so close with government and doing a fantastic job to to advocate for our sport and why it's so important to have participation, especially at junior footy. You know, we know how, how difficult it is with mental health and um, and also keeping kids active. We don't want to leave, lose kids to, to sport, especially footy. So they've been working really hard. And once all those documents get rubber stamped, then we wait for the government to uh, ease the restriction and then point to a date and we're ready to go. So just so everyone's aware, my, my entire team is um, is is, a, is ready and, and prepared to start that season. Um, so we've uh, we, we know that it'll take us four weeks. So if you think about a 12th of July, that's a 15th of June. So we've had lots of consultations with the clubs and the presidents, and they've told us that you need four weeks as well. And if you think about it, where are we at, Lindsay? Uh, or we don't want to ruin the uh, the illusion that we're live on podcast but uh it, that, that's literally 11 days away so this thing's going to come screaming around the corner quicker than we all realize all, all fingers crossed so everyone at smjfl cross your fingers um the government will make their announcements at the right right time but we'll, we'll be ready okay assuming nothing goes wrong between now and the 12th of july um and the season does commence around that time um what are the sort of restrictions that are likely to be in place do you think 
Yeah, I think uh, you know you can you can see AFL um, Victoria's return to train document, which all the clubs have, and we've talked the the presidents through all this, and it's been through all our social media, and you'll you'll start to see a whole string of posters. You've all got these resources, but a whole string of new resources just came out um, late last night, so you'll start to see them on our social media and our website. Uh, so everyone's pretty aware of the return to train. Um, protocols of the AFL and, and that's also connected with the government because they, they need to be able to sign off so local government's got to sign off on, on 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 all the club's ability to be able to follow these things so you know the the simple things that we've always heard is the main thing is about education and, and hygiene so that that hasn't really changed and then the social distancing so things like for now uh, for training you know obviously uh, washing your hands sanitizing using limited equipment like balls and cones only keeping one and a half meter distance so even though we can train in two groups of 20 we still have to keep that distance um, change rooms aren't being able to be um, uh, used at this moment um, so those are the, the, the key things so once the return to play documents come through from the AFL and, and, and are approved by government, so that's the process. So as a sport, we need to be able to approve that we can achieve a, a safe environment. So obviously things like downloading the app. So we have to really encourage, you know, kid, the, the, the kids, uh, the players and, and, and all the volunteers and parents to download that app because the contact tracing is, is where we've done so well. When I say we, I say the collective we, the whole country. So those sorts of things are important. So COVID safety officers, every club has to have, you know, the ability to, um, you know, list all the players and volunteers that are uh, there on the day. These things are all very important. So, you know, things like, um, you know, I think famously we talked about no high fives from since March and people laughed at us and now it's just the most common thing in every sport. Every sport now says no high fives. So even though we were, you know, we were laughed at at the start, I mean, it, it's basic, isn't it? We know so much about this virus. It can only be passed through um, particles, drop particles of saliva or um, anything from ear, eye, nose um, area. So, you know, it's it's those sorts of things, mouth guards, you know. Um, but, you know, what, once we get approval for return to competition, it'll be contact. It'll be full contact. But there's still going to be some anomalies like mouth guards. You, you know, you can wear them, but you've got to keep them in your mouth. So because there's a lot of obviously saliva in that area. So there's going to be some challenges. But I think everyone's so keen to get back to footy that, you know, the clubs have been great. And everything I've been hearing from clubs and, and parents and kids, they've just loved this period of time to come back to training. Oh, look, I think everyone's accepting of um, there needs to be restrictions, um, no doubt, but uh, they just want to want to get back to playing football and enjoying it. And they know they've got to do that with certain restrictions in place. Yeah, and I think, Lindsay, as well, we, um, we should feel blessed because it is a pandemic. And I know there's so many things going around the world at the moment, but... You know, images of only four four weeks ago in throughout Europe, and you know, just we, we forget about that. And we've been very lucky in this country that we shut the borders so quickly. So we we know where you know we didn't magically get the virus. It's come you know for obviously from from um, overseas travellers, but that's all been sorted. And you know, there's still little mini outbreaks here and there, but um, you know, we we can't forget where we come from. So we should we definitely should feel blessed that we've got to a point we can even train. Because even if you ask me this question, anyone this question four to six weeks ago, everyone was still panicking, <laughs> and it and it didn't look positive. So, towards the end of our interviews, now we um, 
tend to lighten it up a little bit with a few this or that type questions to finish. Now, I know you're a passionate St Kilda supporter because we, we share that passion. So they're going to be a little bit themed around St Kilda. So black, red or white? Red. I love red because it's the, uh, of course, it's the colour of our share in footballs. So uh, red. And, and, you know, we, we bleed red, don't we, as Saints supporters? Lenny Hayes or Nick Revolt? Oh, geez, that's hard. I'm going to go with Lenny, only because Nick Revolt paid such a fantastic homage to uh, to Lenny this week as he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I and I love both both Lenny and Nick anyway. Stuart Lowe or Nathan Burke? Well, even though I know Berkey really well, um, Stewie Lowe and I obviously share the same initials, SL. So I'm pretty sure we're related um sarah low stewie low um his nickname's lowey my nickname's lowey on the footy field so malcolm blight or scott waters there was a long blank for a reason i'm sorry i can't hear you breaking up Lindsay. who's your favorite stephen stephen baker or stephen milne I'd probably say Bakes because he. Uh, I know they're both really cheeky and they were the the uh, the jokers of the club, but we'll we'll, we'll go Bakes. I I believe he was always the instigator. And uh, the final one, uh, your favourite Jack. Oh boy, I uh, so many. What is there about thirteen of them? I, I love them all. I reckon it's a great name. I think we should all change our name to Jack. But, pro- 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 but to be honest, probably Stevens, Jack Stevens. Shattered that he's left, but that's okay. But I love all the Jack. I love all the Jacks even equally. And then finally, if St Kilda doesn't win the premiership, who do you think is the most likely? Is that even a question? Of course, we're going to win it this year. Well, that's why I was reluctant to ask it. I'll reword the question for you. When we win. When St Kilda wins the premiership, who do they defeat in the grand final? I don't even care. <laughs> I just want to win. Um, it'd be nice to have one to see one in in this lifetime of mine. Um, yeah, so I, I doesn't matter. I think the only shattering thing is will, will we be able to get to the final to watch it? That that of course that would happen to us, wouldn't it, Lindsay? We finally, you know, we get to a grand final again, we win it, and and maybe there's no um, um, you know spectators. That that'd be shattering. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be shattering for me because um, not only that, it'd also be this asterisk against the season because it's not a proper season. You've got me on podcast saying it. You can mark my words. We will be the premiers this year. Uh, look, thanks, Sarah. Really, really appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, discussing your background and, and, and bits about the pandemic as well. Let's hope we get a season starting on the 12th of July. And uh all the best to you and your staff in uh, that four-week panic to, to get the season going once we've been given the approval by the government and AFL Victoria. So thanks, Sarah. No problem. Well done, Lindsay. And that is the end of this week's special show. Just the one guest on this episode, as we had the opportunity to have an extended chat with Sarah. We thank her for giving us her time in a busy schedule. Don't forget the Toyota Good for Football raffle, likely to be the club's only major fundraiser this year. And in the coming weeks, look out for interviews with Jai Bond, Regional General Manager from the Oakley Chargers, and Rebecca Black, psychologist with tips on maintaining good mental health during COVID-19. 
you have any suggestions for segments or want to be part of the show, then let me know. That is it for this week. Go Hawks!